Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. I want to talk today, um, this is, and just a, just a bit of a a disclaimer if you're you're a guest here maybe you're first coming this this heart for the house sunday is a sunday where as a church we we collectively um uh pledge financially for the year ahead and and the heart for the house is it the primary goal is to is kind of the physical building is uh, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later but it's a it's a yearly pledge we make and just so you're aware that it's, you know, that I'm going to talk about money a bit today. Is that okay? You know what happens if you don't talk about money? What happens if you don't talk about money in your home? You get into trouble, don't you? You start having problems. And it's the same, same in church. You know, we need, to, we need to be honest. It takes money to make church happen. It takes money to make everything happen. So I want to look... Uh, a, a bit of a not so encouraging and kind of encouraging story. I'm just, uh, I am just a plethora of paradoxes today. And uh, I want to look at the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to start right at the beginning. And this is the words of Nehemiah. Now, the backstory of this is that the nation of Israel had been in exile in Babylon. I, th- I believe it was for about 40 years now. And <clears throat> Nehemiah was a servant to the king, Xerxes. Uh, Exerces, you can look it up and figure it out for yourself. <laughs> um, he was a he was basically just a cupbearer. That's all he did was, which was a bit of a dangerous job in those times because if someone was trying to poison the king, it was your job. It was basically your job to drink everything that was given to the king first. And then they waited to see what happened to you before they served it to the king. So not the greatest of jobs for long-term job security, but, you know, pretty good position for influence. Um, And so Nehemiah was, he was in Babylon. He was, he was in exile and he, he had heard the story. uh, He'd got word back from from Israel, that that basically, what well, we can see here, what what he founds out. He said, what he founds out. <clears throat> During the month of Chislev in the twentieth year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant. Now it was just down to a few people surviving in Jerusalem, the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. And when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. And uh, Nehemiah was discouraged. He was, you know, Jerusalem represents the dreams of Israel. It represents all the promise and future of Israel. And when he looked at it, he, he, was, he was discouraged. He thought, this is our future, and it's lying in ruins. And while I wouldn't say that about the church today, I think the church is strong today. 
I would say there's a certain amount of when we look at society and the moral fabric that undergirds our society today, there, there seems to be a bit of it lying in ruins right now, doesn't there? It can become discouraging. It can become, especially the more you, you kind of deep into the, you dive into the social issues of our day and you realize like we have this whole stream of culture that isn't just not wanting to follow God. It's just, it's actually anti-God. It's, it doesn't view church as the solution to the problems of the world. It views the church as something to be eliminated from the world. And so on that happy note, you know, we have, we have to start, and I think even in the church world, we start asking the question, is the church relevant today? Can the church make a difference today? Do we even need the church anymore? Or, or is the church just this outdated, kind of backwater, buck-tooth, odd uncle, that we would just all be better off without. And let me, I think the real question is not, I don't think the, the real question is, do we need the church? I think the, the real question is, is what will society look like if we don't have a church? What, what does the world we live in look like if the church stops teaching what it teaches? What does, what, does a, what does a world without any moral walls look like? We see the values, many of the traditional values upon which Western society is built, have, they started in the church. Like Western civilization and faith, the two were enmeshed. When, they, when, the, when, the, first, when the first settlers came to, to North America... They, they came because they wanted the freedom to worship God. And they, there was this thing that they, they instituted. They called it the separation of church and state. And, and a lot of times we don't understand why there was separation of the church and state. It's because the church controlled the state in England. And so people, people could not worship because of... They couldn't worship in freedom. They came and they wanted to separate the, the church from the state, not to, not to say we shouldn't have religion in politics, but because they shouldn't, because politics shouldn't be governing and religion shouldn't be governing politics. The two, the two are, we, we, they came for freedom, to worship God the way, the way, that, the way that the Bible says. And that, that was, that's the fabric of what makes up Western civilization today, man, I'm taking a long time to say all of this. But what we, what we see is we see those values being undermined. We're starting to watch this, and, and I don't want to get too stuck on that, but I think, it's, I think it's important to understand this is not different than any society that's ever existed on planet Earth throughout the history of mankind. The flesh nature of man has always resisted the things of God. So we're watching this. 
back to the story of Nehemiah, we're, it seems we're watching this acceleration of the breakdown of the moral wall in our society. And, and, and a big part that's pushing it is just we have put the sole pursuit of pleasure and personal fulfillment kind of at the top of what makes a good life. But we're going to look a little later. That, that's not actually what makes a good life. We've gone from the traditional values of faith and family to the sole pursuit of pleasure and fulfillment. And I look at, you know, we, we especially in the, in the current, the, the sexuality of the world around us is almost, you should be up here and try and talk about sexuality. <laughs> like, there is this huge, you're almost, you're almost, like, to say anything about sexuality is almost offensive in today's culture. But the thing is, sexuality is powerful. Sexuality can, can mess you up. Or it can make you strong. And there's this whole, just, just keep your mouth shut and keep your opinion to yourself. But I think, what, I, think, I think it's important we talk about sexuality. I think it's important, I think it's important we have a healthy understanding of sexuality. And my question is, is, is that the progression we're going as a society, where does this movement end? Like, we see where we're at now. But we're, like, that's just, like, we're, we're saying things now that, like, I never would have dreamed that two years ago we would be saying as a society. Let alone now you're actually legislated to say, mandated to say where does this, where will we be in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years? I'm not saying all this to make us grow hopeless and discouraged. <laughs> what I'm saying is the moral walls of the church have been important. They've, the moral walls, maybe, maybe a better way to say that, the moral walls that, that, that God has put around us, they're not to keep out good things. The moral walls God puts around us are, are to keep us in a place where we flourish as people. And I, wanna, I do, I do want to say this. His commandment to us is not so we flourish as individuals primarily. His command is not for your personal fulfillment. His command is to preserve us as a generation and as generations. It's to preserve us as a people to make us healthy and vibrant as a people, not just so we can be blessed and have the best of everything in our very, very limited little lifetime. Okay, I must stop and move on. <clears throat> Morality has to be anchored in something greater than just culture because culture changes. Culture goes through craziness. Not that we've ever seen that. And the church plays a vital role in keeping the walls of morality strong. The walls of, the walls of, and it's, and, and the, the walls in our, in our society strong. Not by raging against the world. But by living in such a way that says, I want what they have. See, the greatest, uh, anyway, uh, just let's move on. <clears throat> I got it, but I'm running out of time quickly. 
I have a, I have a thing. It's, I'm only supposed to bring four pages of notes up. I brought seven. So I hope you don't have lunch plans. I'll be done. So Nehemiah, he said to them, you see, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that it will no longer be a disgrace. And I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been with me. And what the king had said to me. And they said, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. There's something that happens when you say, let's build. And it's very important, I think so important, that the church doesn't get in the mode of reacting. Because reacting doesn't change. It doesn't change things. We need to build. We need to build. The strongest answer to a, a, a world where morality is failing is a church where it's not. Is a church where, where our relationships are strong, where, where our families are healthy. That takes work, guys. It's easier to rail. It's easier to point out the flaws than it is to build something good. So much easier. Criticism is the lowest end of the food chain, you guys. Building, that takes work. That takes work. And then there's these guys, Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arab. When they heard that Nehemiah wanted, you say, why are these people important? Well, they were the rulers in the land who had been set up to rule, and they were part of, part of the rulers that were ruling over Jerusalem. And it said, when they heard this, they mocked and despised us and says, what are you doing? What is this that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king. They were trying to, uh, Nehemiah says, we're going to restore Israel. We're going to, we're going to rebuild the wall. We're going to, we're going to bring Jerusalem back to a place of, of honor before God. And, and the first thing that happens is these turkeys start, what do they do? They start questioning his motives. Oh, you just want this for your glory. You're just wanting to do this to overthrow the, the king. And then they, they begin to actively destroy, seek to destroy the work of the people trying to restore Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah 4, it said, our enemies said they won't. This is where they're plotting to, to, to sneak in and kill them. They won't realize it till we're among them and can kill them to stop the work. When, when the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and time again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? You decide, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going I'm to make this relationship work. We're going we're gonna to make this family work. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, fill in the blank. And it feels like every turn you spring up, there's something there to attack you. There's something there to set you back. That's life. Are you encouraged? So what did Nehemiah, did he respond by saying, oh, woe is me, everyone hates me, nobody likes me? No, he said, station people in the, on the, the vulnerable areas, the lowest sections of the wall, I stationed, them by, I stationed them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. 
And after I made an inspection, I I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen and your sons and your daughters and your wives and homes. See, Nehemiah was clear. This is a fight. You want to do something? You want to build, in our generation, if we want to build a church that's going to be a light to our world, a light to our community, we're going to have to fight for that. And it's not a fight in the way that, it's not a fight in the way that the world fight. It's a fight in, we have to fight anger in us. We have to fight bitterness in us. It's not them. It's us. We need to get the, the guards stationed around our families that say when a fence tries to come in, we say no. It's, it's knowing which fight to fight and how to fight the right fight. It's moving right along. Let me say this. Be careful about the ideologies that you allow into your homes. Be careful. There, we, we all have a spiritual formation. We all have spiritual formation devices in the palms of our hands or the butts of our pockets. We all have spiritual formation devices that are all around us. Be careful what you let come through that device. I don't, I'm not going to say the device is evil, but there, evil gets... Evil can get into your home through these devices. Evil can get into the formation. Evil ideas can get into our lives. Be careful what you allow to form you. Be, Be careful what you put the guards up. Put the soldiers up around your home. And then there was resistance from unexpected places. As Nehemiah was rebuilding, it says in chapter 6, <coughs> as in chapter 6, it says, During those days, the nobles of Judah sent many, la- many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. Now, Tobiah was the enemy. Tobiah was the one that was seeking to stop Nehemiah from rebuilding the wall. And yet there's these leaders in Jerusalem They're corresponding with Tobiah, saying, you know, kind of giving the down low on what what Nehemiah is doing. Leaders in Jerusalem had begun to work against Nehemiah behind his back. I'm going to need a Kleenex there. Can I just get one? Thank you. You guys want me to blow into the microphone? Turn my back to you. (laughs) There is a 12-year-old in there that uh, doesn't go away. You say, why? Why did... Why were the, the very leaders of Jerusalem working against Nehemiah? You'd think that the leaders of Jerusalem would be the most enthusiastic about Jerusalem being restored. And it was interesting. I was reading a commentary on this, and, and the author said it was the nobles 
because the nobles, their children had intermarried with the children of Tobiah and like the, you know, the people of Tobiah, that it was actually their children had become idol worshipers and there were political benefits to being an idol worshiper in a land that was being ruled by being a worshiper of the idols of, of those whom were ruling you, there came financial benefit to that. And so they realized that if the walls rebuilt, we lose our benefit of this idol work that, and, and we lose this connection that leads to our advantage in this culture. And, you know, isn't that, you, you would think, but wouldn't the restoration of Jerusalem be more important to you than the, the personal gain that you get from? And, and you realize that there's, there's, always these, there's always these things that, these voices that can come in and whisper to us, yeah, but if you completely trust God, if you completely trust God, then you, you might lose this benefit. Or you might, you might have to give up you might have to give up this little perk. See, to, to advance, whether it's in your life, whether it's in your family, whether it's in the church, to go forward takes courage it takes faith, and it takes work. And it, ta- it takes courage because it's, not, it's never the easy way. It's never the easy way. Is it, it's so much easier to walk away from things than it is to work on things. It's always easier to walk away from things than it is to work on things. Working on things is hard. It's easier. It takes it takes courage, but it also takes, it takes faith. It takes faith because I, there, there's a certain amount of, I, it takes faith to believe that, God, what you've said is the best way. Because sometimes my, my brain wars with God. My brain says, I don't know if I want to forgive those people. But God says, you should forgive those people. It will be better for you. And, but, but my brain says... No, it won't. I just want to be angry with those people. It makes me feel better when I rehearse everything in my head. It takes faith to believe that what God says is actually true. And it takes work. A few weeks ago, I talked about the five stages of society that that the progressions of society goes from sacrifice, a generation that sacrifices to appreciation, entitlement, contempt, and then eventually destruction or tearing things apart. Is is it was good. But the the first stage, the stage that builds any society is the stage of sacrifice. It's that, and in our, in our culture, it, we would call, that would be the, world, the post-World War II uh, generation. Those that had returned from the war were, return, were 
we're, we're rebuilding society. That was, that was basically, it's basically referred to as the greatest generation. And it, what, what marked that generation was courage and sacrifice. They, they, they were, you didn't go to war because you were fulfilling a lifelong personal dream of personal fulfillment. You went to war because you believed in something greater. You went because you believed in something greater, that something greater was worth, was worth sacrificing for. And it was, a, it was a generation marked by courage and sacrifice, a generation that saw it had to take responsibility for its future. It's an interesting book by Edwin Friedman, who was a family therapist and a rabbi. And it was his book called A Failure of Nerve. He tells this story of how when he would counsel, uh, when he would do family counseling, sometimes entire families would come in for counseling together. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's good. That shows the whole, whole family's committed to working together to, for restoration. And what he would do, he said, I would send them away. And then I would, I would meet with them one by one. And he said, I would find the one person who was willing to take responsibility for the whole family. And he said, I, my sole focus from that point on was working with that one individual. He said, because the person who's willing to take responsibility is the person who can change something. He said, most of the time, the rest of the family was there basically to just get him to agree that someone else was at fault. But the person who says, I'll take responsibility, that person, there's actually the potential to change an entire family rests in the one person who's willing to take responsibility. And I, I would say it's even when it, comes to, when it comes to the church, when it, comes to, when it comes to the challenges in front of us, we can look for someone to rescue us. We've been kind of, you know, there's this underlying philosophy that somehow the government's going to rescue us. You're seeing how that's turning out. But it's vital that we choose courage and we choose faith now more than ever. God partners with faith and courage. God, God doesn't partner with rebate programs. He partners with faith and courage in that, in that de desire to follow. Achievement, achievement and progress don't come through safety and comfort, but through sacrifice, through faith, courage, and hard work. It's Nehemiah, you see this in his answer. I gave them this reply. The God of heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building. But you have no share or right in the historic claim in Jerusalem. He, he understood God's the one who makes things happen. But he needs us to work. And so Nehemiah 4, 6, it says, We rebuilt the wall until the all, entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had the will to keep working. God grants success, but it's our job to do the work. And so I'm gonna, I just want to say this. Is all is not lost. It's easy to look at the world around us and think, Oh, it's getting so dark, it's getting so black, it's getting so bleak, but the best time to be light is when it's darkest out. 
The best time for the church right now to be the church is right now. We're in a society where people are saying, I need to know how to put my life back together. I need to know, I need to know how to, to put my family back together. I, need to, I just need to know how to make a friend that's not on a screen. It's, a, it's the greatest time for the church there's ever been. People will never stop longing for healthy family and relationships, ever. You will we'll never replace it on a screen, ever. It will never happen. Our brains know it's not real. We need connection with real people, and the church fills such a vital role. It's not that you can't connect on a screen, but we need people, real life people. I love that. There's one meme where a guy putting on the glasses and he, 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 he makes the comment, it's like the trees, I can see them in 3D and everything looks so, so beautiful. And then there's the guy standing outside in the forest with the mountains. He goes, yeah, me too. We need what's real. So I want to talk about giving. What... What would society look like if the church disappears? We're not, in, we're not in danger of disappearing right now. But the, person, but the societal trend towards personal gratification above all other things, that's a, it's, not teaching, it's not teaching a future generation how to build. It's not teaching a future generation how to sacrifice. Our kids, the next generation, you need to understand that you, you sacrifice to build a better future. I'm just skipping because I brought too many pages. Let me talk about the church. The two, last two years, I just want to be honest about the, the, the finances of the church. The last two years have been challenging. The last two years have been very challenging. A lot of people stopped giving in the last two years. Whether they had stopped attending church or, you know, there's lots of different reasons. Let me, let me just say this. The church is not going broke. We have money in the bank and the bills are being paid and we are setting aside for development in the future. But the church is a lot more about just paying bills. It's about reaching out and reaching out requires finances. You know, we've, I just wanna, I just wanna even just give a bit of a shout out to our staff is that uh, just, I think it was just over a year ago, the entire staff took took wage cuts in order to, for us to be able to reach our to be able to meet our budgets. COVID happened at a terrible time. We just got into a new building, a building which we could not meet in. But the bills of the building didn't stop. With that said, the church is growing. We've almost. I think we've almost raised all the money we need to buy 200 more chairs. 
So that's awesome. And a little bonus, the chairs went on 20% off this week. And there's a miser in me that loves that. But I just, I just want to say, you know, part for the house is a, heart for the house is an annual offering for the building. But I just want to stop and back, backstep that a little bit. It's a heart for the house is also your regular giving. A heart for your a heart for the house is saying, I will be committed. I will help. I will help fund what happens in the church. See, because we don't want to just pay our bills. We want to reach the next generation effectively. We want to build a legacy for the next generation. So when I think of church, I'm not, I'm not just thinking of what it, it, it is for me or what it is even for my kids. I'm thinking now my grandkids. But I'm also thinking about, you know what, they're going to have kids. I would like for them to have a legacy of faith that lasts generation after generation after generation but to do and to do that i'm willing to sacrifice i'm willing to give to make that happen because i'm watching what's happening in the world around me and i'm thinking the church now is more important than it's ever been and it's a, it's so important and you know we have over 100 kids in our church under the age of 12 right now in a few years that's going to turn into over 100 teenagers Oh, great. <laughs> but the most important formation years in their lives are under 18. I want church to be a place where they come and experience not just stuff and balloons and games, but I want them to learn how to have healthy relationships. I want them to learn healthy sexuality. But I also want them to learn that there's a God that loves them and has a plan for them and that they, they, they grow in a way that they know God is for them and not against them, but also in a way that they understand as they grow, they know how to have healthy family, healthy relationship, that they experience strength So I want to just, I just want to encourage you, if you're not supporting, if you call City Life your home, this isn't, if you're, your guest here is absolutely, this, I'm not talking to you right now. <laughs> you're a guest, we want to serve you. But if you call City Life, this is my home, and I want to see it successful, I want to see it flourish, then I want to encourage you, make a place for regular giving. In your, in your financial budget. And I'm going to say just like, just like earlier, it takes faith and it takes courage and it takes work. And if you've stopped, if you've stopped giving, I'd like, to, I'd like to request that you consider starting again. I know that there's all sorts of reasons why we stop doing things. Sometimes... We just stop doing things because we get out of the habit of doing them. And it's, 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 you know, when you're working out, you're exercising, 
You can go really good, and then you stop. And then it's hard to start again. And sometimes life is just start again. Just get some of those things started again. You know, eating meals as a family, and then you stop. Hey, just start again. All right. Man, I should not have brought that many pages. Let's stand to our feet. Jeremy's probably getting cramps in his fingers by now. It's just like, Mike, you're talking so long. He's got a loop pedal back there. He hasn't done anything new. For and it's easy, you know, on a day like today, it's easy to say, oh, Mike's just all only talking about money. And it's like, no, it's, it's like the most, but everything that good that happens in church happens because somebody made a way for somebody else. Some, there's lots of people serving and volunteering, but there's also staff that's doing tons of work. It happens because we enable them to make it happen. And so I don't, today, I don't want to just, I don't want to just say, give your money. I want to say, give your life and trust Christ and trust that his plan for our lives is leading us to a good place. Trust that the walls that he's trying to build around us, they're not to keep out good things. They're to, they're to, keep, they're to keep good things around us. And uh, I want to just, just pray, just bow our heads. Father, I thank you that you, you don't call us to a path that's just easy. You call us to a path that's significant. And you, you, you call us to follow you, not just not just so we can have all our wildest dreams fulfilled, but you call us to follow you so that our lives can leave a mark for your kingdom and can be a part of building the greatest project in the universe, which is called your church, which was from you, in your heart from the very beginning. Father, I pray that it, our hearts and our minds and our focus that where the world is is clamoring for our attention to say this will make you happy this will make you nice this will this will satisfy your needs that we see the hollowness of its promises and recognize you you invite us to a path you invite us to follow you down a path that leads to righteousness which you've said peace and joy leads us to a place where your life fills our lives. Father, that we would just, we would not believe the temptations of, of the world around us to say this little trinket will make you happy and fulfill your heart when we know that that's not where fulfillment lies. And I just want to pray a prayer. Maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online and you've never said yes to Jesus and, and you're saying, you know what, I want to I wanna trust Christ. I want to follow him. And I'm going to just pray a prayer right now and you can join me as I pray. Jesus, I say yes to you. I want to follow you. I want to follow your purpose for my life. 
In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.